0: Here we go, season seven. All if you missed it, here's what we believe. 66-book canon. We believe in a 66-book canon. There is no more, there is no less. It's 66 books.
1: That Yeshua who is preached by the apostles in the Gospels and in the epistles is the only means of salvation, as we're calling Yeshua, means
0: in other words, justification is by faith alone and not by works that any man should boast. Faith
1: working through love.
0: We are unashamedly Trinitarian. We're also unashamedly uh, doctored, believe in the doctrines of grace, what is commonly referred to as Calvinistic.
1: The, the New Covenant is not time-bound. That is to say that the, the horizon of the faith of our father Abraham is no different. Right. No, no, it is not shy of the horizon of our hope and our faith.
0: In other words, that salvation was salvation was the same for Abraham as it is for us. Right. It is Wednesday, March 18th, 2020. This is Messiah Matters number 293. Worldwide quarantine. Let the introverts rejoice. My name is Caleb Haig. And I'm Robin.
1: Spacing off.
0: Ah, yes. I think I could be wrong. I think we might have a good showing in the chat room today.
1: I looked. I was looking at how you titled the show today, "Faked Dead Sea Scrolls," and it reminded me of something on Shabbat that I have to share. Because it was that this last week was in the in one-year cycle was Parshat Ki which is the Golden Calf, right? And something Adam said something about when they made the Golden Calf, it was a flawed God. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Nice, but you have faked Dead Sea Scrolls. Yes, I do. Different than baked Dead Sea Scrolls. They didn't... The the, uh, Ugaritic texts, you know, in ancient Mesopotamia, those were baked tablets. They actually would get the soft clay, they would poke the little, you know, cuneiform
0: signs in there, and then they'd bake it in the oven and file it in the library. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get into all that. It's interesting (laughs) because we're also going to talk about... uh, We're going to talk about... uh, a wonderful believer, who uh, I disagree with, but uh, Mike Winger, who is just he's he's a joy. I really enjoy Mike. Anyway, he's actually I th- I'm I believe he is live streaming right now on his YouTube channel about the faked Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, and it that was not planned at all. But uh, someone sent in a question about something that uh, Mr. Winger has said, and uh, I know. He might not remember me. I know Mike from uh, the ETS this year. I met him at the ETS, and uh, you know I've really enjoyed a lot of what Mike puts out, even though I disagree with him on a, on a lot of things. Um, but he's he's just a wonderful person and a, and a great believer. So um, yeah, I think that uh, I I have a feeling that we'll have a good showing in the chat room today. How it, because everybody's at home, right? That's the that's the idea. However, you never can tell. You never can tell if if people are going to show up or not. Maybe everybody's over on on Mike's page watching him talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, That would be fine. Um, All right. Well, (laughs) let me just say hello to everyone in the chat room. We already got a good showing, which is very nice. I'm trying to actually... So I'm trying something new. This is going to be a little bit different. I'm trying to... uh, Normally, I have my chat room over here, like right underneath my camera. So it looks like I'm constantly looking right below my camera, Um, and okay, now I'm going to put it on this computer and try it on this computer. We're going to see how it works. Anyway, okay. Um, Well, let's first say thank you to all of our producers. You've seen the producer credits already come up. We are coming to the end of the winter quarter at Tor Resource Institute, which means it won't be long, and we will be uh, moving into the spring producer producer credits, and so if you want to be a producer of the show, an executive producer, you can do so by going to torresource.com, and we'll have links in our show notes and everything like that. Um, and uh, of course, you can also support the show for as little as $5 a month, and find that on Torre Resource as well. Be a part of the conversation today. You can do that in several ways. First of all, a comment line. You won't talk to us. You'll get an answering machine. It's 253-465-3205. It's 253 253- 465-3205, and of course, send us emails. c hag at dot It's c hag at And don't forget to go to Torah Resource. Our new site is up and running, and man, is it nice! It's so much nice. Somebody sent me a text message the other day that said, "the uh, the new site is so much better." <laughs> like, yes, yes, I know. I agree. I'm very excited about that. Okay. Well, should we let everyone know what in the world we're talking about when we talk about the fake? Th- Uh-oh. You know what I see already?
1: <laughs> okay, I'm out of there. Rob's in the chat room, <laughs> which means
0: this show is going to be me talking all all, uh, no. all day long. Yes, no. yes. No. <laughs> okay, yes. Already. Already I can tell. <laughs> okay. Good. Well, welcome to The Caleb Show. Um we're going to talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls. Let's do it. The Dead Sea Scrolls, well, let's give a little bit of background, and then I'm going to throw this over to you. Now, he's not going to pay attention to this, so that's okay. Um, basically, what what's going on is there is 16 fragments of Dead Sea Scrolls. I'm putting quote marks around that. Uh, in a museum, which the Museum of the Bible was created by the Green family. Now, if you don't know who the Gr- Green family is, they are a very prominent Christian family who has... Uh, Well, I think most people would know them from their enterprise called Hobby Lobby. A Hobby Lobby! Uh, One of my wife's favorite places on Earth. Anyway, they own Hobby Lobby, among many other things, and they have done a labor of love by putting together what is known as the uh, uh, Museum of the Bible. And it is located in Washington, D.C. Spared at no expense, by the way. They've uh, done some... Amazing things with the museum. It I don't know if it still is, but it was a traveling museum for a really long time. And we'd come to different major cities, and you could go and see, you know, take this tour through um, different biblical texts and, and artifacts and whatnot. Really, a, a, a you know, I think that they're doing it out of a, a, as a labor of love.
1: Oh, total. I think so.
0: Um. So anyway. Uh, Recently, and this was initially put out by, I believe the uh, initial report was by Nat Geo, or at least they're the ones who had the right to distribute it. The uh, findings were done by a specific team of artifact um, authenticators. And basically what happened was the Green family hired, they hired a team of experts to come in and look at their 16 fragments of the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, to make sure that they were authentic. This went on for... Uh that th- this went on for a year, the investigation did. And somebody in the chat room asked, does that have to do with the copper scroll? No, not at all. It has nothing to do with the copper scroll. Um, it does have to do with fragments from Genesis and uh, some other uh, other manuscripts. 16 manuscripts in total. Uh, After the year-long investigation, the team of researchers came to the conclusion, independent researchers, by the way, they came to the conclusion and published their findings, which are that, in fact, all 16 of these Dead Sea Scroll fragments, which came to light in, I believe, 2002, are all fakes. Not one of them is real. Okay. With that set up, I'm going to now bounce it over to Rob. Rob, go.
1: (laughs) Well, I... I I think this came out on Friday, right, was the news break. That's when I saw it. I
0: saw it through Twitter.
1: Yeah, and I think it was released Friday was was when they released the results. And they had a series of top scholars there.
0: Not just, you know, they had Christian scholars, Jewish scholars, you know. Hang on just a sec. The chat room asks the burning question that everybody wants to know. Where did they get them? This is something that will be investigated uh, oh, yeah, 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 Like professionally, professionals will try to, I mean, yeah. we're talking millions and millions of dollars, millions of dollars. Um,
1: yeah, so And this is the second time that the Museum of the Bible has been
0: checked. Yeah. Th- this is the second time they've been in trouble like this. Uh, the, um, but both times they have handled it
1: appropriately, I think. They, in a way, this the correction of the Museum of the Bible, which is public and on display, because they've been highly criticized. One of the big criticisms in the, like the SBL academic world is that, oh, this is Christian billionaires trying to push their evangelical worldview on the world and making it normal, using this Museum of the Bible, couching all biblical history as if it is inevitable that it's evangelistic and stuff like this. That's the, that's what the sour pusses out there doing. The critics, right. You know, the, the, basically the unbelievers.
0: <laughs> right. And just remember,
1: it's not a lie. If you believe it,
0: <laughs> you keep going. Sorry.
1: That's funny. No, that's fine. Um, so, but I, you know, I believe God has allowed this to happen for, a very specific purpose, which is to not, not to, it's not like God's throwing the green family under the bus saying, oh yeah, see, you know, see, you had all this money and you're fools. No, because they're resilience. They've, they've shown themselves to be teachable and, and they've not only teachable, but they've demonstrated the spirit of making it, of seeking to make it right on the world stage. Like that's that's what's big here is that you have a Christian institution with big money behind it, and the question is, are how how is their attitude right about being confronted with these facts? The first uh, offense was they had acquired a couple of years ago, you know, millions of dollars worth of artifacts from ancient Mesopotamia, and they didn't know that. The bulk of it had been looted from the Iraq Museum.
0: Oh no! Yeah.
1: In light after the after the you know the upset, you know Saddam Hussein. I laugh, but it's not.
0: It's not because I'm. You know, it's not because I. I think it's funny that these people have have uh, gone through this hardship. I mean, I don't care if you're a billionaire. Well, they were
1: fined. They were fined three hundred. Or no, yeah, they were fined. I think three million dollars by the United States government. Right. And then they had to return to Iraq all these fragments. so now, I mean out millions
0: were, and millions and millions of dollars.
1: So they were out whatever they paid. Their reputation took a huge, right, uh, a huge hit, and they were out an additional three million dollars in fines for black market. Uh, but, but. Let, let's they be, sought to make it right because they realized right. they were, you know, they got deceived, and and the people that they were trusting
0: were not trustworthy. So that was the first uh, and, uh, big let's, hit they took. Let's be a little bit honest here. I mean, the, the the hit of the of the millions of dollars that they lost in the Iraq uh, museum kerfuffle alone uh, is nothing in in. Comparison to, I mean, it's my pocket change in comparison to the amount of money that they have, and in the same way, the amount of money that they're going to be out for the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, the fake Dead Sea Scrolls, is really a drop in the bucket. I mean, and yeah, well, the, but the thing is, is that I think, and I'm what I'm hoping is, is that through this experience, the Green Fan, because they're going to keep going, they want the Bible to be seen for what it is. And uh, my hope is, is that through these experiences, they're going to find good scholars who are going to be able to, the next time that something comes around, before they buy it and start displaying it, they're going to they're go through the appropriate check. It's, it's trial by fire. They're, yeah. they're, through, they're in the school of hard knocks right now, exactly. of real and life. And it's a picture.
1: It's a picture of how we all should be Right. as disciples of Yeshua. Here's why. Because the second one now, so the first one was Mesopotamian artifacts. This next one was Dead Sea Scroll. So that's that's presented. I, my understanding, I've never been to the museum there in D.C., but my understanding is that they had a whole floor dedicated to this Dead Sea Scroll experience, and they had these 12 or 16 fragments on a special display with translation and all sorts of scholarly stuff. And they had people, you know, outside scholars that had uh, conferred that these were legit right initially and now they they actually funded the research to investigate whether they were frauds themselves they this, added, this they added too, themselves they added themselves yeah. Yeah. this is and this is also good why this is a picture of a correctable right humble person and and i I think it's awesome um, not only on on one hand not only are there Many many exhibits. That, you know, these are just the outliers. the The bulk of the exhibits are legitimately acquired antiquities. The one of the beautiful uh, acquisitions is the what's called the Washington Pentateuch. And for those who've watched my little um, weekly tour portion videos, I often go to the man. You know, the Museum of the Bible. They have high res manuscript images of that 10th century Pentateuch uh, with the Masoretic I, notes and everything.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong, but I. I'm almost positive that the Green family is in possession of one of the two or three adultery Bibles still left in existence today. Oh, for, they might. be. For yeah. those who don't know what the adultery Bible is, uh, there was a misprint in one of the 1600 uh, uh, King yeah, James version. Yeah, thou shalt commit adultery. Thou- yeah, have they, not. they forgot. They forgot the na- the word not, and it says thou shalt commit adultery. So it's been termed the adultery Bible. There's only I think there's only two or three left in existence today, and the Green family actually has one. It is a priceless. Piece of history, in my opinion, I think it's one of the one of the greatest. Uh, you know, it, that that belongs in a museum. You know what I mean? I mean, it's yeah, You totally. know, Indiana Jones would have a heyday searching for that thing if if it was missing. Um, anyway,
1: um, one one other piece on this uh, that I think is is a good lesson is because now they've they've they're seeking to correct it, right. Well, let's just let's just imagine that instead of this billion-dollar institution, this is just a person. This is a person who comes to faith in Yeshua and is trying to learn to walk in the world. And look at what happened. They they got corrected with their respect, with their how to understand and deal with the ancient Near East, and then they got corrected and um, uh, set on a right course of how to handle first-century jewish artifacts and to me that parallels a believer needs to needs to understand the context of the creation of abraham of noah of abraham right that's our ancient near east and then the the dead sea scrolls represents the jewish world and and so in a way this humility and the the teachableness that we're seeing and and the the at great cost in both situations, it's great cost. But the parallel here is we all need to be in the same path. We should be able to see places where we've been corrected. And in a way I I see this as true is that, do we have an accurate picture of the ancient Near Eastern world? Or am I walking around with, with wrong ideas about it? Do I have an accurate conception of the first century world, the world, in which the gospels were written and Paul wrote his letters, etc. Do I have an uh, accurate understanding of that, or am I just walking around unchecked? So you to know, speak? and
0: this this is an interesting uh, concept because I was thinking about this. We got a YouTube comment on our one of our older videos. I think it's a couple years old about the et. You know, whether or not the the oh, uh, see that's a yeah, sign, that's sign the, the unteachable. Yeah, that's sin, the un- sign sign of the direct object it means anything. And and uh, the person just commented and said. Um, because I think in that video I said something like uh, this brings no value. It, it, you know, there's nothing that you've you can learn that you can't you know from the from the so-called at teaching. You can't, and this person said, "Well, I've I've come closer to Christ because of it." And my response was, and this is going to tie back into what you just said. My response was, "Well, you know what? Plenty of people have come to Christ through Benny Hinn revivals, and plenty of people have." You know, been uh, have come closer to Christ because of of uh, Kenneth Copeland, but that doesn't mean that what they're teaching is true, or right. The Lord can use whatever He needs, and whatever means He wants. He talked through a donkey, but there are people who hear something. It sounds good. It sounds right, and so they just grab onto it. And then there's no swaying them, since they felt good about it, or since it made that you know, since it gave them some revelation. There's no turning them from from what you know to the truth of what's actually going on. That that to me would be like people coming
1: to the Green family and saying those are forgeries, those are forgeries. They're like, you don't know. You know, people come, they love to see these these manuscript fragments. You don't know. Right. You know, people are coming, they're forgeries. No, they're not. You don't know what you're talking about. You people are so impressed with this. They, they love Jesus even more after seeing this exhibit. How can you say they're forgeries? That's what that would be like.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about who might have done this in, who did it in just a few seconds. Somebody, uh, somebody says in the chat room, and I think the comment got cut off maybe. So you guys have mentioned before sections that ought not be in the Bible for a new believer who would be learning how to trust the word. Yeah. And that dot, dot, dot. Oh, there we go. Uh, what would you say to someone who is not a scholar as far as what to trust biblically when there is a translation for any theology you want? Okay, uh, ultimately, this comes back to uh, the the main tenets of the faith. We trust, and ultimately, this is how a lot of people have become scholars, and this is absolutely true. A lot of people did not intend to be scholars, and the reason that they became scholars is because they wanted to know something, some truth about the Bible. Ultimately, for a new believer, or for any believer, we need to remember that there are foundational tenets of our faith. Yeshua came. He is the Son of God. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He continues to make intercession for the elect. That's number one. Number two is that the 66-book canon is true, and it is what directs us in our faith. And number three is that the greatest commandment is love. Love of God and love of neighbor. From, every, from those two commandments, everything else flows. If we get those right, then we're on a very good track, whether we're a new believer or not. And ultimately, coming back to the question, if there's a question on the Bible, it is up to each individual believer to dive deep, to, to try to investigate to the best of our abilities and to figure out what the Word says and what is true. And this is, a, I mean, this is the lifelong goal. Uh, this should be the lifelong goal of every believer. Work should be to further the kingdom, whether we work at McDonald's or work in a ministry. It doesn't matter. You know, what, hanging out with our friends should be to further the kingdom. Everything should be to further the kingdom, including our study. That's, I mean, we live life under Christ because we've given our life to Christ. I think that that's the ultimate. Okay, um, who did it? You want to take this, Rob? There's a great There's a, article. Did, did that we, we share the... Yeah, so in the, in the show notes, uh, there I put two articles in. The original uh, article by Nat Geo, which uh, you can look at, you can, you can uh, see that's what they... That's a real,
1: really well done in terms of... It's Nat Geo, yeah. Yeah, explaining, like, how did they detect the forgery? Yeah. Right, so, that's... Yeah. That is awesome. So that's... Oh, it, Caleb, one other before we do the second article, the Ralston one, the Nat Geo, I like how you call, it, how you call it that, is you know how um, it was in this. I think it was Star Wars, like in the in the late seventies. You know, George Lucas made Star Wars, and then he ended up he had to create new technology to accomplish what he wanted to make right. the movies, right? And so they developed Lucasfilm or Industrial Light and Magic, right? And the, and the idea was they had to create a new industry. Or a new industry standard emerged out of the, the techniques and technology they and did the specialization. Same, they did the same the thing same,
0: they did the same thing with Toy Story.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the Pixar and or is that right? P- yep. The, Pixar. Yeah. So the the same thing's happening here. Right. By because if you look on the Nat Geo, they had to draw people from like from the field of like DNA and like right. like like non-biblical disciplines. Right. But that had high res whether it was chemistry or photography or, um, whatever they, all these, and this is the beauty because this is a, my understanding. This is still green money, right? Green. Right. <laughs> That's funny. Funding this, drawing together this multidisciplinary super precision.
0: Yeah. They're, they're, create, specialization. yeah they're, they're creating how to do this. Because exactly. they're trying to out the, their own manuscripts for their own selves. Yeah. And now, think of in the future
1: how many other <laughs> forgeries will be automatically detected the, yeah. quickly. Yeah, they're doing a good. This is a this is a good thing. This is a good thing because if everybody comes away, even you know whether they're secular academics or Orthodox Jews or evangelical Christian scholars, if they all walk away. On the same page, saying this methodology, these technologies, and these different disciplines came together, and we all agree that the results are open and true, and no one's disputing. How can that not be a good thing? Because in the future, they've created a new industry standard that now any forger, and this is going to transition to our second uh, right. article, the Christopher Ralston one, is that in the future, it's people who have the hubris to say, yeah, guess what? I'm so good. Yeah. I can create this and slough it by, make millions of dollars. And I can laugh knowing that people are excited about my, what I did. And they, they believe the lie. Cause that's the other On side, the side of that. that's what, somewhere. that's right. What, yeah. And that's what Christopher Ralston gets into. He believes the level now now that it's been exposed as a forgery, they can reverse engineer and see how they made it. And he says the only way, it's, it's an insider. It's someone who is highly trained. He's been trained. He said he or she, you know, he makes a place that it could be a, a woman. I would say it's probably a dude myself, but <laughs> that they had the hubris to, and it's probably very secretive. Maybe one other person might know that they paid to help. But basically, they got old treated leather, right? Or old, you know, they got legitimate. Um, like first century leather. First century, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then they wrote on it and they knew enough about Hebrew and how to write the letters and, how, you know, all this
0: stuff. And make them they look old, enough. right? In that What's style. That? Like in the, yeah. in the first century style. It's not just writing Hebrew. It's so not that's just, what he's saying. He says it wasn't uh, a joke. Because yeah. he says
1: some forgeries out there, and, and this Ralston's written about forgeries before. Sometimes it's a hoax, as a joke, as a prank. He said this was deliberate, probably to make money and probably with the hubris element, of someone saying, right. Look what I can do. And um and so he says it's somewhat there's a there's a forger among us, in other words. The idea is that someone who's probably still living and is in the academic circles. Right. And and if they trace it, if if they can now do the you know, the detective work and find out the chain of custody, you know, like, well, who had it and who, who did you get it from? Who did you get it from? We'll see how well they covered their tracks because they might've thought once, I mean, imagine if you were the person who did the forger forgery and then you're known. Yeah. The, my, my, the museum of the Bible has a whole floor dedicated Desi scrolls and all of what they have, I made in my home lab. And now that now they might think, oh, that now that it's there, no one's ever going to catch me. Now they must be like, yeah, freaking out because not only has the Museum of the Bible put all this financial uh, ability that they have behind discerning that these are frauds, but now how much more are they going to pursue and nail down? Right, the crime, and right. and so we'll see in the weeks to come. I mean, we'll see what they're able to find out.
0: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I I, I mean, uh, I put the Rolston uh, article in the show notes. You can find it at RolstonEpigraphy dot It's Rolston Epigraphy. Yeah. Epigraphy. Yeah, Rolston yeah. He's is
1: he's a he's a specialist in. Um, I've I've read a bunch of his stuff. Good stuff on
0: ancient Hebrew. Oh, he's legit, and and his his uh his take on this is really very good. It's a uh, I mean, I agree with him. I think that and it's concise. It's easy to read. You don't have to know Right. You yeah. can't but I mean, here's the thing is that when we think of of what went into what went into the forgery that the forgeries that have, have now been on display it's it is an amazing it's an amazing accomplishment to be able to, to trick scholars and the general public like this. And the reason why is because like like we said, you know, you're talking about getting first of all having access to and, and purchasing skin hide from the first century and knowing that you need to do that, first of all. And then beyond that, being able to um, fake the writing of these, you know, knowing the biblical text well enough, knowing where there might be a variance or something like that. So
1: they have an artistic element. In other words, this yeah. is someone who knows how to write in different styles of Hebrew.
0: Lois asks if the uh, uh, text has anything controversial. No, no, no. It's just, it's, it's, it,
1: my understanding is it's just fragments of biblical
0: verses. Right. All. But still the point is, is that, I mean, this is done, and, th- and then to treat it, not just to do it, but then to treat it to make it look like it's old, like it's been worn for you know, two thousand years, and these kind of things. And then to sell somehow, make the money off of them and get them into circulation. I mean, it's an amazing thing. it's a, it's it's a lot of work. And I, I mean, Start looking for scholars that uh, are, are are familiar with ancient texts, and all of a sudden have millions of dollars. Yeah, it's like you just bought a yacht and
1: a, <laughs> uh, like a, a mansion in the Caymans. You You're know, making
0: a like, lot more on you know at the university <laughs> than I'm making, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh man, oh man. So, but yeah. here's
1: a, here's the idea though. Back to the idea of if the Museum of the Bible is kind of like a picture of a of an American evangelical believer, right? and the ability, you know, twice being deceived. Right. But then having the resilience by, I think by God's grace and the, the humility um, to, to, to be corrected and then to stand up again, you know, and that's, that's what we're seeing them do. And I, I, I think that's a a wonderful testimony because in that, in both the, the acquisition of, of ultimately what were looted or black market, uh, Mesopotamian, you know, artifacts, artifacts, or whether it's these Dead Sea Scroll forgeries. Um, in both cases that I, I believe the intention was good. The intention was to create this museum of the Bible where people can come in and they enter a different world. They enter the world of the ancient Near East, and it transitions them up into the world of the days of jesus you know and and to understand the bible from that background i think that is a good thing however it shows that good intention is different than wisdom right and what what they now have through what you call the school of hard knocks and this this costly correction but on the other side of it hopefully is is the good fruit of not only the the recognition of the how precious humility is and be be teachable but the wisdom that's on the other side of that and then that that wisdom now is available in other words whatever bar was was defined with the mesopotamians artifacts or whatever bar like we were talking about with the new technology for detecting forgeries whatever that is now the rest of the world believer and unbeliever alike will benefit from those uh cases
0: and, and that's it, a really cool thing. You know, one of the questions is, is, how is this going to affect Dead Sea Scroll, you know, affect anything? Well, the, the truth is, is, it's probably not going to affect too much. One of the reasons why is because there, there are scholars who are going to say, look, I said these were forgeries from the beginning. And there were. There were scholars who said the two, the 2002 find or, you know, integration of these into the into the market is, uh you know, some of them, if not all of them are fakes. There are people who did that. So, uh, scholars who, call, who called foul from the very beginning. So, you know, um, it, it doesn't shed a bad light on the, on the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, on the real Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, okay. So, should we move on? You ready to move on?
1: Yeah, well, oh, well yeah, but do I accept, here's the big <clears throat> question for me, do I accept correction? You know?
0: Yeah, exactly. Do, am
1: I teachable? Uh, that's, that's the, that's the thing. And I think the museum of the Bible has shown top down a teachable spirit that we can all go, wow, that's really cool. And that's, it sucks that it costs what it costs, but it costs what it costs because the, the values of God's kingdom are precious, right? right? They're worth more than gold and silver. And, and so these, these big financial wallops and the setbacks in terms of reputation, those are just temporary. They are temporary, so that's true for all of us. Any correction we receive is temporary because but God does need to correct us so that we have the good fruits on the other side of it that we're not uh we're not abandoned
0: orphans right we're we're his children.
1: weights and measures okay <laughs>
0: let's move on because um it's I couldn't have planned this better um I've been uh teaching through acts at uh our at our group, and um, I just got to through Acts, fifteen twenty one. Laura writes in. She says, "Hello, Robin, Caleb. I got the idea for this question from Mike Winger, who we already talked about, a Christian Bible teacher podcast. Thank you for your time." And then she has, I believe, written out transcripts of these uh, of certain, and she gives timestamps uh, for them. Now, once again, I want to clarify, and I want to preface this whole discussion with the fact that I. Highly respect uh, Pastor Winger, and um, I, I like a lot of his videos that he puts out. I've met uh, Mr. Winger, and uh, he's just a just a wonderful and lovely person. That's not to say that I'm going to agree with him on everything. In fact, I disagree with uh, Mike on, on a lot of different issues. And um, But this is not to be disrespectful towards Mike, and I will send him a link of this uh, so that he can respond if he wants to. I doubt he will because he's got uh, a lot of things going on. Um, but you know, whatever. Uh, I encourage uh, him to take a look at it if he wants to. And uh, yeah, I actually, uh, I was actually thinking about bringing Mike onto a, uh, a YouTube video for uh, growing a Messiah, but that's a whole different uh, topic. Anyway, so she, uh, Laura, has written out different um, different parts of this video that that uh, he's talking about Acts 15. So, in regards to Acts 15, this is what Winger says. Now, I also need to clarify that I have not. Had the time to go and listen to the entire context of what uh, Mr. Winger was talking about. Now, I say that because all I'm responding, all we're going to respond to here is the question that Laura has given. And I'm going to pretend that this is actually Laura asking the question and not Mr. Winger, because obviously Mike uh, has a much larger context than what has been written here. With that said, Let's jump in. It is written by Laura that uh, Mike has said, it works like this with the Hebrew Roots movement. Also, it should be noted that uh, Mike went did a, an entire series on the Hebrew Roots movement. I think, it, I think it was several videos long. I watched the first one or most of the first one. Um, I thought he ha- had some great points. I disagreed with him also on a lot of things. Um, but, you know, yeah, it's... Uh, he, he's taking the time to actually look into it, at least it seems like it. Uh, he it goes on, this is the idea that you as a Christian are supposed to obey the law of the Old Testament. Acts 15 says they don't have to obey the law of Old Testament. Okay, now, let's just stop hey, right minute, here. Wait a minute,
1: wait, let's say that
0: Acts 15 so they, says they don't have to obey the law of Old Testament.
1: Okay, so we need to be clear that that's someone's... In Interpretation, that's someone's right. interpretation. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, "quote, <laughs> uh, they don't have to obey the laws of the Old Testament." Right? That's that's a biblical idea.
0: Yeah, and he it says here, and she has written out. It's very clear. Well, I I think that um, being in no the, nowhere does it say they don't. Nowhere in the Bible does it say
1: God's people do not have to obey His laws.
0: Well, and not only that, but but let's just. I think that Mike, if Mike, if this is a a uh, a word for word write down of you know transcript of what he said, then I think that Mike will have to uh, maybe give a little bit on that because various commentators are going to say various different things. For instance, Craig Keener believes that the four laws given in Acts fifteen are a precursor to the Noachide laws. Something that I Adamantly reject. I think that that is, I don't think that that can be upheld um, historically or, or anything else. I, th- I think that that's, uh, you know, and I respect and know Dr. Keener well, and I have used his commentary extensively, but I disagree with him on that. On a flip side, uh, someone like uh, Ben Witherington. Uh, Dr. Witherington has written that the, uh, that the four laws given in, and by the way, it's five laws in the Western text, but Witherington says that the four laws given in Acts 15 are actually uh, all have to do, and my father has said this too, all have to do with the pagan temple. Now, what this means is that there's a lot of implications that go along with this, okay? But the point is, is that you can't just say it's talking about, it's saying that you don't have to keep the Old Testament, that's not what, now, someone like Dr. Daryl Bach, on the other hand, he does uphold this. Daryl Bach says, yes, the four laws given in in uh, in Acts 15 are saying, and it's for those who want the exact verses, it's Acts 15, 20. Uh, Bach says, yes, it's, ta- it's saying that, that people don't have to, or that Gentiles don't have to keep the laws of Moses anymore. Okay, but the point here is that this is diverse. It's not just clear cut that it's talking about the Old Testament even christian commentators are are not are not uni, unified on this so i think that mike mike winger's if this is a, a genuine representation of what he has said i think he's going to have to actually bend a little bit on this statement let's keep going she writes it's a council in jerusalem that proclaims they don't have to obey it the rescue device uh, the rescue device the Hebrew Roots movement has is to uh, simply say, yeah, but those were only new believers. Okay, I don't claim to be part of the Hebrew Roots movement, and I never have, but I don't claim that. I don't claim that it's these were only for new believers. In other words, the laws were given to the congregations around, uh, well, around Galatia and the upper, basically southern Turkey, Antioch, and north from there. So they were given to the, the, the churches or the Ecclesiae that uh, were Jewish by nature, but they're wondering, and what are they trying to do? In the very beginning of Acts 15, it said, a group came down from Judea to Antioch and proclaimed that unless one is circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, they cannot be saved. So this is the whole precursor to what is going on. Now... I don't think that, uh, I don't think that uh, Mike would be able to sustain the idea. Even Daryl Bach says that the uh, circumcised according to the custom of Moses is most likely talking about some kind of man-made re- uh, ritual. Something man-made. It's a, it's a custom, a man-made custom. Okay, let's keep going. They were eventually going to be taught the law of Moses. And so, you respond to that by showing in the book of Acts, and I do this in the video so you can have like a platform or an example of that. You just show in the video that the believers in Antioch, the location they're written, they're writing a letter to. Uh, I, I don't, I, if we read Acts uh, 23 and 24, we know that the letter didn't just go to Antioch. Paul and Barnabas were sent with, uh, with Judah and with Silas to Antioch, but then the letter went out from there. It was a jump point. So it goes to a bunch of different communities. It's not just going to Antioch. Anyway, these believers had been uh, well-discipled for years by apostles and prophets. That's true. Antioch was well-discipled. They're not new believers. I agree with that. So I like to ask that person, so your understanding of Acts 15 depends on these being new believers, right? No? And wait until they say yes, Not going to say yes. And they have to say yes because that's the only way out of this passage. No. Then you take him to those passages earlier in Acts and show they're not new believers. They're well-discipled. And then there's nowhere else for them to go. That's just one passage. Many that would refute it. And uh, there are many that would refute it. And I have a lot of them in that series. Okay. I've talked a lot already trying to convey what was written by... Uh, Laura, claiming to be a transcript of Mike Winger. I'm going to pass it to you first. Go, go. <laughs> There's so much to talk about. Um,
1: and translation is part of it. What we've got a couple practical issues at the get go. We have manuscript, and you, Caleb, you already hinted at this. We've got manuscript variances when it comes to Luke acts. So acts 15 acts 21 are part of that. And then we've got translation issues. So, so two, two different um, realms that can kind of muddy the clarity are, are kind of already are initially uh, confronting us. And that's the manuscript history and then translations. So, and you could say, well, that's always true. So sure. So to some degree, that's always true. A third is ideological conviction or presupposition that someone brings to the text before they even read it. So for example, if I'm if I think the Old Testament, you know, if I the basically the summary that we started with was that um Acts 15 teaches that Believers, I don't remember exactly what it said, believers don't have to observe Old Testament laws. Okay, I would say that person probably already had that belief and conviction before they even started reading Acts 15. Whether they read it in Greek or whether they read it in this or that or 20 different translations, they came out with the same belief that they started with. So we're going to encounter that sort of thing. We're going to encounter situations that that's back to kind of our earlier topic. Am I running around with thoughts that are frauds? Do I have, do I have false ideas that I'm clinging to, even though there's voices outside telling me that it's a fraud, that it's a, that it's not a true idea. So the question is what's our method? Well, the, the next thing we have, and this is what is good is, Yeshua makes it clear for us that we are to differentiate the word of God from the traditions of man. They're not the same. They're, they're different file folders, right? There's the words of God and the words of man or the work of God and the works of men. And from the beginning of not only Luke, but if we just start with Acts, the book of Acts, which is written by Luke, he demonstrates from Acts chapter two that the, the Holy Spirit is being poured out and that numbers are being added to the ecclesia every day who were appointed to this salvation from Jews and then Gentiles. And that this is a work of God. We see this in Acts five, when Gamaliel, remember they're, they're like, what do we do with, you know, these, they keep preaching Jesus in in the temple and they're healing people and they want to, the high priest wants to silence them and it says Gamaliel, and we learned that, you know, Paul learned from Gamaliel, who was a teacher of the Pharisees, said, look, you can't, if this is God doing this, you're just, you're going to just be fighting against God. And if it's a work of men, it will, it'll fade. It'll, it'll end on its own accord. But if, but you don't want to be found fighting against God. So Luke introduces us to this idea from Gamaliel in Acts chapter five. Well, we see that Develop and this is, this is the same thing that's happening here in Acts 15. Is it? It says Acts 15. One starts out with it says certain ones came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers. Right. Well, those brothers are believers. Well, what does that mean? It means they're new creations in Messiah. It means they 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 belong to Yeshua, whether they're a week or you know years in in their walk with Yeshua they're new creations. What does that mean? That means they are living stones, right? They are living examples uh, or souls that are participants of the new, of the Brit Hadashah, of God writing his Torah on the hearts of people. In other words, it's a work of God. The true believers, the true Ecclesia, is always a
0: work of God. Okay, but back to... It's, it's I mean, always a
1: work of God. and but, then, So the reason I want to point this out is because what we see then in Acts 15 are two responses to that. Acts 15.1 is, is a group of unredeemed. And what are they saying? Unless you're circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, it is not possible for you to be saved. Those people are not teaching from a Brit Hadashah understanding. They're, they're, they're telling people who already have new hearts in Messiah that unless X, Y, and Z, it's not possible for them to be saved. Yeah. That's why it's caused such a stir. People are like, what? What do you mean? You mean I'm not saved because, you know, blah, 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 blah? So they move it to, they go to Jerusalem. Well, on the way to Jerusalem, there's more, they're preaching and even more Gentiles are coming to faith. I think Acts 14, even before Acts 15, the end of Acts 14, it says that they were rejoicing because God had opened the door of faith, even to Gentiles. Well, what does this mean? God's opened. That means that people are believing. Okay, so they go to Jerusalem, the Jerusalem council, and it says now a group of Pharisees stand up and says, well, it's not a matter of we're challenging their salvation. Their position is different. There's We need to be circumcising them and commanding them to keep the laws of Moses. That's what, that's what the Pharisaic believer response is, which is different. They're not challenging the salvation. They're not challenging the Pharisees at the, in Jerusalem that are believers, are not challenging whether these Gentiles are saved or not, which that's different than Acts 15, verse 1. They're not saying you're not saved unless. They're saying, well, you're saved, and we need to do this, this, and this. right.
0: I, and, and, yes, and, I
1: agree and, with you on that. And the response is that that's even rejected. Even yeah, I, the Pharisaic believer's response is is rejected. Because I I, they, I, I,
0: right? I think it should I think it should be noted quickly. You know, uh, Rob and I actually disagree on on some of the nuances of of this passage, um, which has been really fun to t- to discuss recently. Because since I've been in this passage, I've been I've been um, uh, bouncing ideas off of not only my father but also Rob as well, and uh, kind of figuring out where I agree and where I disagree with, uh, with my teachers, which is always interesting. Um, but I think, I think one of the things that, that, uh, hands down, Rob and I are not going to disagree on by any stretch of the imagination is one thing that I think, uh, Mr. Winger, if, if he's, you know, if this is an exact representation of what he has said, uh, one of the things that, uh, he's going to have to explain is or maybe even let go of, is the idea that this is about sanctification. One of the common ideas is that the Jerusalem Council is writing to the churches uh, around the northern part, you know, north of, of Jerusalem and saying, look, when a Gentile comes into your, uh, in, into your congregation, they don't need to be sanctified in the same way you do. That's not what the rest of Scripture teaches. In fact, it's not what Paul teaches. Let's go to Colossians real quick. In Colossians 3.12, and let's remember that Colossians was probably written in around 60, 61. So this is long after the Jerusalem Council, okay? And let's also remember who it's being written to, okay? Paul says this. He says, "...put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience." Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let's see here. Am I too far? Um, I think I am. Uh, Give me just a second. I apologize. I went to the wrong passage. I went beyond. That's okay. It's still
1: a good passage.
0: It's a great passage. Let's go before that. And 370 says, In these you two, oh no, I'm even earlier than that. I apologize. Uh three five, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, uh passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you two once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put on, uh put them all away. Anger, wrath malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with uh, with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, let's go back real quick. Remember that in Acts 15, there are Four regulations, according to the, to the uh, Eastern text. There's four regulations. And the Western text adds one, but I think it's a good one. But anyway, uh, it's probably not original. Not the point. Let, so there's four regulations. But in Colossians 3.8, Paul, who was sitting there at the Jerusalem Council hearing these four regulations and agrees to take the letter to these churches, he says that there's way more you must put all uh, put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. That wasn't prescribed by the Jerusalem Council. So obviously, Paul doesn't think that there's only four things that the, the Gentiles need to do to be sanctified. So the idea that this passage is talking about sanctification as Mr. Winger and others, uh, uh, you know, D- Daryl Bach as well, who I highly respect, but I disagree with on this passage, they have claimed that this is talking about the law of Moses and about sanctification. I'm sorry. We can, that This cannot be upheld. And not only that, but if we go then to Acts 21, what happens? People come and they say, look, Paul, people, people, I'm obviously paraphrasing, Paul, people are saying that you are teaching against circumcision and against the customs of Moses. Now to show them that there's nothing in these claims, go to the temple and help these men fulfill their vows. What does Paul do? He doesn't say, "Well, hey, whoa, I've been teaching against circumcision, and I've been telling people they don't have to keep the law of Moses." Didn't, weren't you, didn't you hear the ruling of the of the Jerusalem Council? Didn't you get the letter that I brought? No, he doesn't say that. He says, "Okay," and he goes to the temple. So, no matter no matter what, what we have to say is that. The idea or the teaching that Acts fifteen is somehow associated with sanctification of the Gentiles, in other words, that the Gentiles keep these four laws and this is how they're sa- sanctified, or even worse, that this is how they're justified. Which we, I don't, Winger and, and other scholars are not suggesting this. What they are suggesting is that this is about sanctification and. I don't believe this is about sanctification. I don't think that it can be upheld that this is about sanctification. Now, we could get into the nuances of what this is actually about. I think that this is about a conversion process. I think that what was happening was that the Gentiles were being told by Jews, unless you go through a formal conversion process, you're not part of the covenant people. And we see this distinction earlier in Acts. We see it, I think it's in 11, when you have... The words proselyte and God-fear juxtaposed against each other. Maybe it's 14. It is 14. When, uh, when Paul and Barnabas go to the synagogue, they preach to the Jews and the god but then when they leave the synagogue, who comes and talks to them? Not the Jews and the god anymore, but the Jews and the proselytes. Why? Because it was not socially acceptable for a god someone who has not gone through the, the formal conversion process, to associate with a Jew. And we see this in Peter's dream in 10.
1: Well, yeah, the Acts the Acts fifteen one claim is is needs to be differentiated from the Acts fifteen five claim. Those are two different groups of people with two different conceptions of of who true Israel is. I agree with you on that, and, and they're both wrong. They're both wrong. They're both wrong because true Israel is God's work. It's God's people. And it's the people that God redeems and brings to himself and sanctifies. And so, and justifies. And, and so James in the, or Yaakov, you know, in hearing Kepha or Peter, who says, you know, he stands up and tells what's happened. They write the letter and it says, it seemed good to the Holy spirit and to us, you know, and, and gives them sends the letter out and, The letter is meant as a guide or an aid, because a it's short and sweet. It can be copied and replicated and spread out. And we know from Acts six that's what they did. Is they took copies of they made multiple copies of this, and they they went. Oh, sorry, yeah, uh, in Acts sixteen, yeah, like verses four or five or something. It it says that they made copies of this and they took it from city to city, and it says. Uh, now i'm paraphrasing it's like and the lord added to the number like it they were blessed they were edified and more people came to the faith in other words the solution that we call the, the solution that the council came up with aided was guided by the wisdom of the holy spirit but also served to aid right those who were already believers and they were encouraged and and there was even increased fruits um now that's that's important for us to know it's a it's a rejection of the first two solutions that the acts five one and the acts five five those are those were two different groups that that well and speaking that of- we're using man-made conceptions to think about god's covenant faithfulness and in the end what we see is that it's it's yeshua building his ecclesia it's the holy spirit that's moving in people's hearts to, to repentance, whether they're Jew or Gentile, and that they all need that correction. They all need to grow and understand what it means to be a new man and Messiah. And and you know, I think we talked about this the other day too, but and someone might have, I think put it in the chat room. The idea is that people still need to hear the, the words of Moses. They still need to hear God's revealed scripture, of the Torah and the Prophets.
0: Yeah, I, I Howard Marshall uh, says that uh, Acts fifteen twenty one is a very perplexing verse. Um, it, it, the other thing that needs to be considered by uh, commentators when when handling this passage is if 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 we are to suppose, which I don't believe, but if we are su- to suppose that uh, Acts fifteen twenty is talking about sanctification of believers how a believer or of Gentiles, how a Gentile is sanctified. Does that mean that God has two different regulations, one for Jew and one for Gentile? And if that is the case, in other words, the Jews are supposed to keep the law, the Gentiles are not. Now, I, I th- don't think any commentator is going to say, yes, that's the case. But we don't see there any, any of these regulations for Jews. These are for the Gentiles. And so the question is, okay, do you think that, that the Jews that are in the, in the church today should be keeping the law? or is it just the Gentiles who are only this? Here's the way I look
1: at it. Here's the way I look at it. And, it. and it bears out with our historical evidence. First century, you have Samaritans, you have Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, right? And you have different groups that are promoting. They all accept there's a Torah of Moses, but they all disagree on how to interpret it. Even the Pharisees among themselves don't agree on all, on all the bits. So Jews who have the Torah, need to learn how to interpret it correctly. And that's like the second Corinthians. Paul says, you know, they could read the Torah, believe it's from Moses till they're blue in their face, but unless they have the spirit of God, they're not right. going to understand it. Yes. They're going to be, it's like they have blinders. So that's not a, that's not the problem for a Gentile. That's the problem for a Jew who has the Torah. The problem for a Gentiles, they need to learn the Torah, but not learn it from a Sadducee,
0: Right. Or in a scene, Somebody who they doesn't need to the learn spirit. it from Jesus. Yes. They need
1: to learn it from Yeshua and the apostles. Yes. So the point is this. The point is Torah is in the world. The Torah was given through Moses and through the Jewish uh, scribal tradition. That's why that's why in John 4, you know, John tells us how Yeshua tells the Samaritan salvation is of the Jews. Right. What does that mean? Well, she's a Samaritan. They rejected the Davidic kingdom, they rejected the Psalms and Samuel The Temple the temple, yeah. all that. And Yeshua was saying, sorry, you know, you're a Samaritan, but the fact is salvation is, it comes from the, the Jewish history here, which is the full Tanakh. And, and but it didn't mean he didn't love her. It didn't mean he didn't tell her the truth. And, and, and but, but she accepted the truth. She accepted the truth. Which so the shows same the way Holy is, Spirit, right? Exactly. Yes. So Jews who have the Torah or Samaritans or Essenes, or, you know, they need to learn how to interpret it correctly rabbis today. They have the Torah, but they need to learn to interpret it correctly. That means they need to right. sit at Yeshua's feet. Right. That's the only way they're going to get it. Not yes. at Schneerson, not at Hillel and Shammai, not at Rambam or Rashi, but at Yeshua's feet is where Jews are going to learn how to interpret the Torah correctly. Gentiles need to learn Torah also under Yeshua. They all need to be sitting at Yeshua's feet. But the difference is the Jews have an advantage. Paul gets into this in Romans three and four, I think, you know, what is their advantage? Cause, cause Jews were given the, the scribal tradition, the tradition of, of the written word of God, of the tour of Moses all the way through, you know, the Samuel and the Kings and the, the Psalms and the historical writings and the prophets, this all comes. And we are so grateful for that tradition because that's God oversaw that preservation in history for us. And but that doesn't mean that just because someone grows up Jewish and they know the Hebrew and they can read the Torah that doesn't mean they're closer to God than a Gentile. Not at all, because the problem of sin is still what keeps people from having a relationship with the living God. And that the the solution to our sin problem is in what Yeshua has done for his sheep. And anything other than that is fake religion, whether it's Gentile paganism or you know, Chabad messianism.
0: No doubt, we're. Uh, I'm sure that you know people are going to have different opinions on this, even within uh, the Hebrew roots movement, and the messianic movement, and the Torah movement. Whatever you know, whatever movement people want to ascribe to, there's different. Uh, there's different opinions, and, and within Christianity, there is a very wide uh, common commentary on on what the, what the four commandments could be. And I'm sure people will just look at us and say, "Yeah, well." You know that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, it's been a good show. I've enjoyed it. I really like Acts 15 right now because I've studied it a lot in the past, what two, three weeks, and I'm still in it. But uh, I just got through verse 21, and and uh, I yeah, I wrote quite a bit on on that. So exciting! All right, everybody. Uh, stay inside if you feel like it and you probably should, because you know what? <laughs> it's uh it's a crazy world out there right now. I'm supposed to go to Germany on April 24th and, or 27th. And, uh, who knows? Probably not. But, uh, my airline says, yeah, you're still going. So we'll see. I right, guess it's up to the Lord. All right. We'll be back next week. Uh, and please, by the way, send us emails, send us, uh, uh, voice messages, uh, you can send emails to seahag at at You can also call our comment line 253-465-3205 We base the, uh, the subject of these shows on what people recommend uh, we talk about and questions that people have so keep sending them in. We hope that this conversation has done one and many things, but that one thing that we hope the most is that it's glorified our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Because Messiah Matters.